Well, ladies, it's really good to be here with you guys today. Um, I'll just say that uh, my relationship with Clint and Sarah has just been a blessing, you know, over the time that I've gotten to know them. I mean, they're very accessible people. Can you say amen? And, uh, you know, there's times that, you know, we, we need people, we need peers that we can talk to when we're going through stuff. And that's one reason why I appreciate them so much as a minister and especially as a single woman. You know, I, I need to have connections with people that I can just be real with and be real honest with and say, hey, this is what I'm going through and this is what I'm facing right now. You know, guys, pray for me or, you know, hey, if you've got, you know, uh, any wisdom you can share with me, do that. And they have been that to me. So I just want to publicly acknowledge that and just say how much I appreciate them. Amen. Um, you know, if you were uh, coming here thinking, gosh, this lady's going to talk about, you know, getting through the storms in life, I wonder if she's ever been through a storm in her life. Uh, before I get started teaching, can I just kind of tell you a little bit about my life and where I've come from? And maybe, maybe if I share a little bit about what I faced, it'll open up your heart to, to actually be able to receive a little bit better from somebody who you don't look at and say, well, yeah, it's easy for her to say that. You know, her life's so perfect and everything. Because sometimes people get that impression. They think if you're up on a stage or you're in ministry or you've got a platform somewhere, it's because your life's all together and everything's just working so great and, you know, all of that. So let me just burst that bubble before we get started. How's that? Okay. Um, I was raised in a family of seven kids, and I was somewhere in the middle there. And uh, all my life, I, I struggled at really trying to, you know, please my parents and please my dad especially. He had five girls and two boys, and the two boys didn't always do all the things that dad wanted him to do. So I stepped up to the plate and did that. You know, you want to teach me how to shoot a gun, throw a ball, shoot a bow and arrow, you know, all that kind of stuff I learned to do because I, I wanted my father's approval. So I kind of, you know, grew up that way. But I also realized that, you know, I don't know, somewhere in my teen years that my dad was an alcoholic and he had concealed that from most of us growing up and we didn't know until everything just came crashing down. And, uh, so all I could think of was, I want to get away from this. I want to leave this house. So I got married when I was 18. I married my high school sweetheart, and we moved to Germany, and he was in the Army. And uh, after being married for a few years and going down paths I shouldn't have gone down, I kind of woke up to my righteousness because I had been saved when I was eight years old. And I said, I can't live this way anymore. This, this is destroying me. And so when I got my life right with God, he left me. So there I was as a mother of an 18-month-old, you know, living single life. And I was single for several years until I met my husband, Angelo. And he was in ministry. He had been working with um, a minister that I knew and we met at three different meetings at three different places before we connected and actually had our first, you know, real conversation. And then it went real fast from there. And um, we were married in January of 1984, and I had a child from my previous marriage. He had one from his, and then, you know, we got married, and then we had three more girls together. Well, we did ministry together. We did life together. He was my friend, my, my lover, you know, my partner in ministry. And, you know, life, life wasn't perfect, but it was, it was pretty good. You know, we had our struggles. We had a lot of ups and downs. Um, but, you know, we always, we always seemed to find a way to pull, us, pull ourselves together at the end of the day. And, uh, but he went through a really difficult time in ministry, 
And we had been over in Greece. He was Greek. He was born and raised in Greece. So when he came to America, he learned how to speak the language and all that. And he had a cute little, you know, Greek accent and, you know, had that, you know, European foreign look, real handsome guy. So I was like, oh, yeah, you know. And uh, but he, during during the time of ministry, when he, you know, he stepped into ministry, there was a lot of pressure put on ministers to just be this perfect kind of thing. You know, it's like if you didn't fit this cookie cutter image of what this ministry you know, should look at, look like you, you weren't invited or welcomed into a lot of churches within our circle where we were, where we were doing ministry. And so over the years, you know, he, he got a little discouraged and stress, you know, took its toll on his life. And so in 19, let's see, we went to Greece in 2002. We did about a year and a half of ministry there, moved there with our three kids and did some missionary work, then came back to America and things weren't the same. The churches that had opened before weren't open anymore. And the people that had embraced him and helped him get over there were kind of disappointed that he didn't stay there. And so there was just a lot that was going on in his heart. And so I asked him, I said, you know, what, what can I do to help you? I mean, you don't seem to be happy. You know, if you could do anything, what would you do? And he said, I'd just go back to Greece and just retire. And I said, well, if that's what's going to make you happy, let's do it, because I can't stand the way that life is right now. So we put our house on the market, um, and we prepared to make that move. We had two girls still living at home that were you know, almost done with high school, so we told them, we'll go over there, we'll take you, but then when you graduate from high school, you can move to Arkansas, where your older two sisters are. So that was kind of the plan. Well... He went over to Greece to kind of scout out the land to decide where we were going to live at that point in our lives. And we had lived just outside of Athens. And he said, I don't want to live, you know, in southern Greece. I want to go up northern somewhere. So he was looking around Thessaloniki. And uh, anyways, he was gone for 30 days. And when he came back, he was 15 pounds lighter than he was when he had left. And that was not typical. Usually he'd put on 5 or 10 pounds when he'd go to Greece because of the way he'd eat. So he kind of, you know, him hauled around about it, you know, I'll be fine, I probably ate something, didn't agree with me, yada, 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 and, you know, stubbornness, and, you know, all that stuff that goes with men and doctors and all that. Um, he finally, you know, gave in, he had some tests run, and it took a long time to get to this place of diagnosis, but in um, December of 2009, he was diagnosed with stage four colon cancer, and uh, by the next year, by November of 2010, he died. And he went to heaven and left me with, you know, our children to take care of and to raise and to, you know, carry on whatever that meant. And I'm going to tell you, I'll be honest with you, um, I did not know how to do life alone. I didn't. I, I felt like I had woken up in a foreign country and I did not know how to speak the language. I mean, here I am, you know, single woman in my 50s and I've got, you know, two kids still at home. And really, I just, I didn't, I didn't know how to, how to do life but I said, thank God that just before he had, you know, after he had gotten <clears throat> diagnosed, um, a friend of mine gave me a book. And some of y'all, you know, will recognize this author in this, you know, book. But it was Destined to Reign by Joseph Prince. And I had never read anything by Joseph Prince. I'd never heard of him. I didn't know who he was. And my friend that gave me this book put it on my doorstep the night that my husband was discharged from the hospital after going through surgery and being told that he's dying. And so I looked at this book and I'm like, destined to reign? Like, yeah, right. You know, like, I don't need a book right now. 
You know, I need a miracle. And I put that book on my coffee table, and I didn't pay attention to it for the longest time. And a couple of weeks went by, and because I loved the lady who gave it to me, and, you know, she gave me a card with it and put, like, a $100 check in it. And it's like, please read this book. Even if you don't agree with all of it, you know, please read it. And I was like, I owe it to her to at least kind of look through the book, right? So I opened it up and I started reading it. And I can't tell you to this day what I read. I can't tell you if I started at the beginning, in the middle, if I read the table of contents. I don't know. But whatever I read did something in my heart that said, you need to listen to what this man has to say. So I searched on my TV and I found Destined to Rain, TV show by Joseph Prince. And I started watching the next morning. And all that year, while my husband was dying and I was nursing this man, you know, who was going through chemo and everything... I cried at the goodness of God. I wept at the revelation that God loved me unconditionally, that he, that he was not holding my sins against me, that I wasn't a bad person because I couldn't get this miracle to happen. I mean, all these things that were going on in my heart, I rested in his love for me. So even when my husband died and went to heaven, I knew who I could put my trust in. And so today I'm going to talk to you about leaning into Jesus in the storms of life. And how many of you believe I'm a little qualified to teach this? Okay. I've been through some stuff, not just then, but even since then. You know, I've gone through stuff. We don't, we don't get to be immune from the storms of life, but it's what you do when you're in the midst of them that's going to determine how you're going to come out on the other side. Can you say Amen. All right, most of you probably don't have your Bible, so how about if I read these scriptures to you? And if you do have it, you can follow along. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation, but I'm going to read from Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. And it says, as evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat, and they started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. But soon a fierce storm came up. Say, fierce Okay, so this just wasn't like a little rain shower like we had here last night. This is a fierce storm. High waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. Okay, the boat is filling with water. That's not a good sign, right? Okay, just make sure you got this picture here. Verse 38 says, Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. Okay, I'm just going to stop right here and tell you. I've been asking Jesus about this now for weeks, and I, I've been trying to picture this, and I still have a very difficult time picturing a grown man sleeping in the back of a boat with his head on a pillow while water is filling the boat. I mean, I don't know about you, but when a storm comes through, unless I've got like earplugs in and a noise machine going and all that, I hear the thunder and the lightning, and it wakes me up. Okay, I mean, living in Oklahoma, we've had a few earthquakes, and they've been minor, minor little things. But even then, sleeping, I have been awakened just at the feeling of my bed shaking a little bit. I mean, my husband was a sound sleeper. I'm not that sound of a sleeper. And when my kids would come in at night, like the second the doorknob would begin to move, I'd be like wide awake, and I'd be like... And they'd come over, and I'd take their heads, and I'd throw their heads towards my ear. They said, Mom, that was the weirdest thing you ever did. You'd always take our head and throw it towards your ear. Because I didn't want them to wake him up, because it was like, 
I want him to sleep. And I'd have them whisper to me whatever it is they need to say. So I, I'm a light sleeper. So trying to get a picture of this, I'm having a hard time. But guess what? This is what it says he did. Clint, you're going to have to help me with this iPad when I get done with this. I, it kind of goes off if I'm not touching it. Okay. I'm okay now. I can keep touching it and turning it back on. This is a new iPad I just got, by the way. Thank you, Jesus. Okay. So... This boat began to fill with water. Verse 38 says, you know, he was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him up shouting, teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? Like, this was serious. These were fishermen, okay? This, they, these weren't little wimps that had never been out on the water before, that had never seen a storm. They're fishermen. They've been out on the water. And they say that this storm is so fierce, they fear for their lives, okay? All right. And... It says, when Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, silence, be still. And suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. And then he asked them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And the disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man? They asked each other. Even the wind and waves obey him. All right. So we're going to break this down verse by verse. And we're going to talk about how you lean into Jesus during the storms of life. And the first thing, you know, you ask yourself is, where is Jesus when I'm going through stuff? Right? Have you ever felt like that? Like, Jesus, where are you? When I'm in the middle of going through, Jesus, where are you? Do you ever feel alone when you're going through a storm? Oh, come on. Somebody here has felt alone going, okay. And, and, and sometimes what's happening in your heart is you're like, I'm trying to connect with God, but I don't know where he is. Like, Jesus, where are you in the midst of this storm? And how can I keep from drowning in this sea of life? Because sometimes when the wind and the waves are so fierce in our lives, we think we're going to drown. We think we're not going to make it. We think that our boat is about to capsize and it's, you know, adios amigos, right? I mean, we may not literally think we're going to die, but you ever felt like you are going to die? You know what I'm saying? I'm going to die. But you don't really mean die. <laughs> you just mean, this is difficult, and I don't know how I'm going to survive this because you can't see the end from the beginning, right? So what am I supposed to do when fear grips my heart? Okay, so going back to verse 35, it says this, as evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. So my first point that I want to make is start with a clear vision of where you're headed. Jesus made it clear what his intention was. He didn't say, hey, guys, let's get out in the boat. I'm going to teach you all a great lesson about how to survive the storms of life. There's a big one coming, <laughs> and you're going to think you're going to drown, but don't worry about it because I'm going to be there right with you to say, peace, be still. He didn't say that, did he? Have you, have you all been alerted of the storms of life before they happen? I, I haven't always been. I'll tell you, when my husband got that diagnosis, it was not what I, where I thought I'd be at that point in my life. I didn't think at this point in my life, this is where I'd be as a widow, okay? Um, that, that was not on my radar. However, I know that as far as God is concerned, I need to remember my life's not over. Ladies, I don't know what you're going through today. I don't know if it's trouble in your marriage, trouble with your finances, challenges in your body, challenges with relationships or whatever. But no matter what's happening, your life is not over. You're here today, right? 
you're still alive. So no matter what, we need to get our eyes on the promises of God. Amen. We need to look at what God has said in his word. And then we need to keep our hearts fixed. So we start with a clear vision of where we're headed. And you know, the Bible tells us where there is no vision, people perish. You know what that word perish is? To let go of, to ignore, or neglect something. So where there's no vision, people are letting go of something. They're ignoring something. They're, they're not paying attention to something. So my question to you today is, what is it that you're supposed to be paying attention to, right? Where are your eyes fixed? Well, it, it goes right back to what the Word of God says in 2 Corinthians 1.20. For all the promises of God have been fulfilled in Christ with the resounding yes, and through Christ our amen, which means yes to the glory of God. So the promises of God is where we get the word that God wants to speak to our heart about what the end result looks like. Now, I know that y'all have a pastor here that's written a great book. Okay? And what is it? How to say yes to 3,000 promises of God? I mean, Clint has written this book where he has taken the promises of God and put them in this book so that no matter what you're faced with, like I'm telling you, if you haven't found a promise to fit your situation, you have not looked long enough or hard enough because it's there. There is a promise that will meet every need that you have. Can somebody say amen? Okay, it's a heart matter, okay? It's what's going on in our hearts. And you know, in Mark chapter 4, Verse 36, it says, they took Jesus in the boat and they started out leaving the crowds behind, although the others followed. But as soon as the storm came up, high waves were breaking into the boat and it began to fill with water. Now, this takes me to my second point, okay, which is don't let external circumstances rob you of what God has spoken to your heart. Don't let those rob you because the moment you find a promise of God and, you know, if you're already in a situation and you have a problem and then you find the promise, don't think that just finding the promise is the answer. You now have to persuade your heart that that is the evidence that you're taking that is above anything that you see in this natural realm. And that's where we as human beings have failed so much. God has not failed any of us. He hasn't. He, he has not failed one of us. What happens sometimes is we fail to take what God has said in his word as the absolute final authority. And so we look at our circumstances and we look at the word. And then we look back at our circumstances and we say, well, you know what? This may not be true about me. This may not be for me. And the moment you do that, your heart says, well, you know what? That's what you're looking at. So that's what you're going to have. Uh-oh. So what is that? That's choosing to waver, right? Isn't that what wavering is? When, when we doubt, and doubting is, you know, to, to doubt something is to look at two different options. So you're looking at what the Word says, and then you turn and you look at your circumstances, and you look at what the Word says, and you look at your circumstances, and we're back and forth. And you know what James tells us, that, you know, this double-minded man is unstable in all his ways, and he can't think that he'll receive anything from the Lord. It's not that the Lord hasn't already done it for you. It's not that he's not going to give it to you. It's you are not in a good place to receive, because to receive, you have to remain fixed, you have to remain steady and stable with your feet grounded on the promise of God. Amen? And I know you say, well, gosh, that just sounds so easy. No. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm saying it's doable. 
And there's a big difference in it being easy and it being doable. You know, I'll, I'll share some of my testimony uh, about some of the things I've gone through since my husband's death. And, I, and I'm, I'm cautious about how I do it because, you know, I respect the people in my life that, that were affected by all of this that happened, especially my children. Because like I told you earlier, you know, when you're your husband of 26 years that you think you're going to spend the rest of your life with and that you're both going to get raptured out, you know, together and that you're not going to die and he's not going to die, you know, you, you, you don't plan for this thing called death. You don't plan for this thing called widow will, okay? You just don't. And so when that happened to me, I'm telling you, I did not, I didn't know how to, how to do life. I mean, all of a sudden you're thrown into this world and you're now single. Like, okay, it's one thing being 18, 19, and 20 and being single, right? It's another thing being in your 50s and being single and not liking one minute of it, okay? I will tell you that I loathed being single, I hated being alone. I didn't like any part of it. I hated getting up in the morning by myself. I hated going to bed by myself. I hated going to church by myself. I hated watching movies. I hated all of it. There were things I just wouldn't do because I didn't want to do it alone. I'd rather not do it at all than to do it alone. And so in, in this time of my life, it was like I was searching. And here's the other thing. You know, I had been married to this man, and I was his helpmate. I mean, whatever it was that he wanted to do in ministry, I got behind him 100%. And even though I taught and I preached, and he was my biggest fan, and he loved me to preach and, you know, gave me the pulpit whenever I wanted it. I mean, a lot of times I'd be like, no, 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 honey, you preach, you know. No, I don't want you to preach. And I'd be like, oh, gosh, you know. But I would do it. But he, you know, he loved, you know, having me in ministry with him. But he made basically all the decisions about what direction we were going in, how the ministry was going to operate year after year. And then all of a sudden, it's like, I'm doing this on my own. Like, I've got to make these decisions now. And I didn't like that. I mean, I didn't, I didn't like not being somebody's other half, which takes me to this point that I had a real... Uh, belief in my heart that I had to get rid of because I believed I was a half looking for another half to make me whole. And I, that, that was a heart belief. I believed that in my heart. So guess what? When you believe that on, in your heart, guess what you start looking for? The other half, right? And so you're, you're searching and you're praying and you're thanking God and you're telling everybody you know, hey, if you know any really nice, sharp, good-looking guys that are single and, you know, whatever. I mean, you, you're just, you're, you're, no, you're wanting to put a billboard up, you know. Please don't leave me single, you know. Find me, marry me, you know. And, uh, and you know, God helped the few men that were in my life at that time because, you know, I made it, I made it difficult for people to even befriend me because immediately I'm thinking I'm sizing them up, right? <laughs> Are you a marriage-minded man? And uh, I have a great friend. He and I have been friends for many years. And, you know, he wasn't marriage-minded, but we were good friends. But, you know, it was like in my heart, it was like, I have to make this work, right? I, I need this, this is what I need, God. This is what I want. This is what I need. And the Lord began to show me you're looking for this answer to this cry of your heart. And you're going to find it. You're trying to find it outside of me. And you have to find it in me. I did not know what that looked like. I didn't. All I knew was when I was with my husband, I felt complete. Now I'm single and I feel incomplete. So guess what? The Lord brought me to the scripture in Colossians 2. And it says that we are complete in him. 
in Christ dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and I am complete in him. Well, when he first showed me that scripture and I began to meditate on that, I was looking at all my external circumstances, no ring on my finger, nobody sleeping in my bed, nobody taking me anywhere, right? And I was saying, my circumstances are saying, I'm incomplete, right? But the word of God says, I'm complete. So what am I going to do? I, the only thing I knew to do was to take this word and look at it and meditate on it and begin to write it on my heart. And thank God for Dr. Jim Richards, who is also their mentor and was their pastor, because he, God brought him into my life at this time. And he helped me and mentored me through this season of my life to find my completeness in Christ. He gave me materials to look at and to listen to and coached me through some really difficult moments in my life. And I'm, I'm here to tell you that it was hard for me at first to give up this idea that I was incomplete, okay, because I wanted a husband. I didn't really want to find completeness in Jesus. I wanted Jesus with skin on, right? I mean, isn't that what we want? We want somebody who's just like Jesus, right? Somebody loves God and, you know, walks in love and is always kind. And, you know, we have this image of this perfect person. And we want them to be just like Jesus but with skin on. So I was like, how do I, how do I have a relationship with this entity out here that cannot hold me, right? that cannot touch me, that cannot, you know, do these things for me. And I don't know if y'all ever talked about your love languages, you know, what your love languages are and everything. Okay, well, I, I like my top three, like tie. Like, it's like when you do the scoring, it's like nine, eight, seven. And then the other two are like two and one. Okay. So my top three are physical touch, words of affirmation and, and quality time. So I'm thinking, I need a man for that. Right. I mean, really, if I want to feel loved, I need a man for that. Well, you know, I had to learn how to draw upon Jesus in a way where I could picture myself being loved on by him. Because for me to feel complete, I needed to feel loved. Did you know that? To feel complete, you have to feel love. Because really, when we're saying, I'm looking for a spouse, I mean, ladies, okay, you know, I know you're all great and wonderful and everything, but when you're looking for a husband, you're not thinking, boy, I want somebody I can wash their clothes. I want to be able to clean their toilet. I want to, I want to go to the grocery store and buy food and come home and, you know, slave over the stove. That's not what you're thinking when you're saying, I'm looking for a husband. You think, I want somebody to love me. I want somebody to hold me, somebody to make me feel good when I don't feel good, to tell me I'm pretty when I don't feel pretty, right? That's what we all want. Okay, so I'm thinking, Jesus, how are you going to do this for me? So God began to take me on a journey to know how to connect with him in my heart. And as I began to study Jim's material, and if you have not read Moving Your Invisible Boundaries, oh my gosh, get the book, read it, sign up for my online book study. It's amazing. How many of y'all have enjoyed it? Okay, so see, some of you ladies have been going through it. Okay, and what I do is I just take you through the book like one chapter a week, and I just, I, I have these videos, and they're like five to seven minutes a day. You watch it, and you just get encouraged about what's going on in your life, but I began to, to connect with God in my heart and move these boundaries, and boundaries are anything that you believe in your heart, okay? The ones that we want to move are the ones that make us feel like we're not who God says that we are. Okay, so God says I'm complete in Christ. I had a boundary in my heart that said I'm incomplete. So I needed to move that boundary. So what I did is I began to say, okay, God, you're going to have to give me an image of what this life with Jesus 
that's supposed to make me feel complete looks like. And one day I had, uh, I was just kind of meditating on the scripture and thinking about it. And I thought, you know, I'm, I'm here, I'm in the throne room of God, but it's like, it, it seems like, you know, you're there and I'm here and you're wow and I'm oh, you know, and uh, I, that's not making me feel real complete. So I said, I need a different image. And so this is what God did for me. He, he gave me this image and all of a sudden here I am. I'm, I'm right up there on this platform where the throne is. And here's the throne of God. Here's the father sitting here. And we all know that Jesus is at the right hand, right? But instead of Jesus sitting in this like matching throne, Jesus was sitting in a love seat and he was there and I was here. And I was sandwiched right between the father and the son. And I thought, okay, I like this. So it was like, so then in my mind's eye, and again, your imagination is a good thing. And don't be afraid to use your imagination because I use it all the time. You use it all the time, most of the time for bad stuff. But, you know, we can use our imagination for good stuff. You know, you can imagine all the wrong things that are going to happen when your children make the wrong decisions, right? Oh, God, I know if she goes to this party, she's going to talk to this person. I know they're probably going to make her want to do this. And, then, and you go through this whole scenario in your brain of how something could happen. That's using your imagination. Okay, so learn to use your imagination for something good. So I did. So I imagined, okay, so I'm in this love seat. So how do I feel here? And I was like looking at Jesus and looking at the Father. I'm like, Jesus, just put your arm around me right now. So he did. So his arms around me. So I'm leaning into Jesus and I'm thinking, God, this is good. I feel loved here. Like I feel it. Like I feel the emotions of being loved. This is great. I'm having quality time, physical touch. Words of affirmation. Okay, I need words of affirmation here. Come on, guys. So at that moment, I imagined the two of them talking about how amazing I am. Okay? Look at this daughter. Look at your sister. Can you believe that? Look at what she's been through. Man, and she's still trusting us. She's still got her heart fixed on the fact that we love her. She's not looking at her circumstances to decide whether or not she's valuable. She knows she's valuable because of what we've already done for her. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> Let's hear more, right? And then as I was leaning back and I'm crying, I mean, I was like physically crying in that place in my living room while this was going on in, in this realm called the kingdom of God where I was experiencing this. And then all of a sudden it was like, as I was leaning back, they were conversing, but I couldn't hear what they were saying, but they were talking to each other, right? And I was like, okay, whatever they're saying, it's good. I just know it's good because they're not ever going to say anything bad about me. So it's all good. So I can just rest. And then I was like, they're talking about my future. And I was like, I want to know just a teeny bit. Just, just give me a little glimpse. And so I was kind of like, you know, I want to peek. And I was like, can I just see, you know, what I'm looking for? And I was like, over. okay, okay, I see it, I see it. Okay, good, good. So that's my end. I see it. And it's just tied to a scripture in Proverbs says, he that finds a wife finds a good thing. Okay, you got it? Got the image I might have had out there? Okay, so it's the end. So I hold on to that. And I say, God, that's my destiny. That's what you have for me. So I have God's word now that he's spoken to me. I have a promise. Because if, you know, I mean, you say, well, that's kind of like the promise for the guy. Oh, no, it's not. It's for us, too. He that finds a wife finds a good thing. Well, he's got to find the wife. I'm the wife, right? I mean, that's not a scripture. The guy said, oh, God, I'm looking for a wife. So if I find a wife, I find a good thing. Claim it if you're single, okay? You're the good thing he's looking for, and he will find. Amen? Everybody say amen. He will find. He will find. Okay, so now, 
this takes me to my next point. Okay, so in Mark 4, 38, Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him up shouting, teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? So my third point is never blame God for not calming the storms in your life. Never blame him. Why? Because life happens to all of us. He's not responsible for it, and he's given us authority here on this earth to use our authority to speak to the storms. He's not speaking to all the storms in your life. He's asking you to speak to the storms in your life, okay? Jesus had just finished telling them about the parable of the sower. We all know Mark chapter 4. I'm not going to read that all to you, but you know he was talking about the seed going into the ground. You know, the sower sows the word, and then, you know, the word can be taken because of this, and the offenses or less of other things entering in can choke the word. We know it can be, you know, planted on the thorny ground, you know, all that. But then it was like they didn't understand this parable. Like when he spoke, they didn't understand. And, and he, they asked him, you know, teacher, can you explain this to us? And so he said in verse 13, he said, do you not understand this parable? How will you understand and grasp the meaning of all parables? So obviously this was pretty important because you can't understand any of the parables if you don't understand the parable of the sower. And so he clearly spelled it out to him. And then he told him about the parable of the seed, right? So he's telling him about the parable of the sower. And then in verse 26, he tells him about the parable of the seed. And listen to what he said. Now, this is before he got in the boat. This is before he fell asleep. Everybody said, fell asleep. It's before he fell asleep on the pillow. He said, the kingdom of God is like a man who throws seed on the ground. So his words, we're going to the other side, were like what? Seed, right? He cast seed. All right. And so this man, throw, he throws this seed into the ground, and he goes to bed at night. Oh, he's sleeping, right? Okay. He goes to bed at night and gets up every day. And in the meantime, while he's sleeping, what's the seed doing? The seed sprouts and grows. How it does this, he doesn't know. The earth produces crops by itself, then the blade, then the head of the grain, and the mature grain in the head. But when the crop ripens, he immediately puts in the sickle to reap because the time for the harvest has come. So Jesus had already spoken out the desired results. He had already said, this is what I want to do. We're going to the other side. Now, did he say, I'm going to get in the boat, I'm going to the other side, and the rest of you are going to drown? No. He said, we're going to the other side. Let us go to the other side. So he had included them just like we're included in the promises of God. All of the promises of God in Christ are yes and amen. Okay? So if he's qualified, you're qualified. If he's worthy, you're worthy. If it takes a righteous, perfect person to get God to bless them, guess what? You are that perfect, righteous person because you're in Christ. See, we're not looking at our behavior to decide whether or not we qualify to be delivered from the storms of life. We're looking at what Jesus has already said about us and who we are in him. It's about our in him reality. We got to take it right back down to that, all right? So this is what John 16, 33 says. It's Jesus was talking. He said, these things have I spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world, you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer because I've overcome the world. I love the message. It says, I told you all of this so that trusting me, you will be unshakable and assured, deeply at peace. So in the storms of life, what, what does God want going on in our heart? Remember, it's not about external stuff. It's about what's going on in your heart. He wants you unshakable, assured, and deeply at peace. And Jesus showed us what that looked like in a man, in a boat, on the lake, 
in the middle of a storm. His head was on the pillow. Yes. I mean, that's, that's sleeping comfortably, sleeping soundly, you know. Sometimes I've had people, you know, say this to me. And I understand when you're going through a rough time, sometimes you question God. You question things. You know, if God loves me so much, why did he allow this to happen? And that's a dangerous question to ask. Because you're, you're almost accusing God of being the author of or in cahoots with this tragedy or this circumstance that has created this storm in your life. And, you know, here's the thing. God has already demonstrated his love towards us through what he did in his giving his son. That's how he demonstrated his love. God does not have to prove to you and I one more minute how much that he loves us. What he wants to do is to get us to understand he's already demonstrated his love and that he gave us Jesus and all of the promises he gave us his righteousness. He gave us the, the spirit of God living on the inside of us, always convincing us of our righteousness, reminding us who we are in Christ. He's done that for each one of us. Why? Because he wants us to live in his love. Can you say amen? amen. So if we keep reading in Mark 4 and verse 39, it says, When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Silence, be still. And suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. So what I want you to remember, fourth point, is that Jesus is with you in the storms of life. Okay? He, he now has given us authority. You know, he, he already conquered evil. Right? We are not having to fight the devil anymore. Can you say Amen. He is a defeated foe. So I'm not going to run around all the time talking about the devil did this, the devil did that, right? Okay? If storms are happening in your life, it's just because we live in a fallen world, right? It's not God allowing or not allowing, God doing, not doing, okay? I don't believe in that, okay? I, I believe that we have been given authority here on this earth to, to speak to the storms of life. Now, you can control the storms. You can't always control the people that are creating the storms, right? <laughs> okay. But you're responsible for how you respond, all right? And, and worry, worry in the midst of the storm is when we're meditating on all those external circumstances instead of meditating on what God's word has to say. Sometimes we, we think about all the possible outcomes, Okay that are associated with doubting God. And we just need to rein those thoughts back in and say, you know what, I'm not going there. I'm just not going there. I'm not, I'm not going to do that. I'm, get, I'm getting word, God's word back out. I'm going to keep looking at what this end result looks like through God's perspective. And, and I, love, I love some of the things that, you know, Dr. Richards has, has taught me about meditation because one of the things that he stressed when he was trying to help me through some really difficult times and, and when there was chaos and there was confusion, you know, and when there was hurt and pain that was associated, you know, with my husband leaving and then my children not being able to deal with it in, in the way that I thought that they should, or, th or they looked at me and said, mom's not dealing with it, with it the way we think she should. And there was all kinds of friction and everything going on in our family. It was like, God kept taking me back to the word and kept taking me back to the promises of God. Look at this promise and stay, stay here. Don't allow yourself to, to meditate on all these other things, right? Why? Because my heart needed evidence of the truth. My heart was going, I was going to operate out of the belief of my heart. 
So if my heart believed that my life was going downhill and it wasn't going to get any better and that my relationship with my children was going to get worse, if I kept looking at that and meditating on it, guess where I would be living today? I would be living in that world. So I took promises of God like, you know, your children will rise up and call you blessed. And I began to imagine what would I feel like if my children were rising up every day and calling me blessed? What if they were saying all the good things about me that I know are true about me? <laughs> right? What if they agreed with God's good opinion? Right? And I began to experience what that felt like. What would that feel like? And as I began to do that, my heart said, this is what she wants, so let's give it to her. And he began to lead me into making the kinds of decisions and doing the kinds of things that would cause this to happen in my external world. But it started inwardly. Can you say amen? So my last point is this. Verse 40, he said, what are you afraid of? Do you, do you still have no faith? And the disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man? They asked each other. Even the wind and waves obey him. So my last point is, don't let fear take hold of you. Hold on to whatever God has spoken to your heart. Don't let fear rob you of the promises of God. You know, it's easy, you know, to just go in that direction. You know, a lot of people live in, you know, regret for things that are in the past or fear of what might happen in the future. And God wants you to live in the present. He wants you to live in the now where you've got a new beginning. I really don't even care what you did to mess up yesterday. You probably did a few things wrong. You probably said some things wrong, made some wrong decisions. Okay, so what do we do? We go to Jesus and say, okay, here I am. This is, this is me right now. I'm acknowledging I want your guidance. I want your leadership. I, I want... I want to live in the promises. And we know that 2 Peter 1.3 tells us that according to his divine power, he has already given to you and I all things. Say all things. All things, all things that pertain to life and godliness. So anything that's categorized under life would be like food to eat, shelter, clothing, relationships. I mean, all those things that we need in a natural way, okay, to just live a life here on earth. And everything that pertains to godliness, which is God-likeness. So everything that you need to live this natural world, like God, has already been given to you. You're not trying to talk God into doing something for you. Oh, God, please give me patience. He goes, no, I already gave it to you. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's yours. You can have it. Lean into it. Oh, God, I just need you to help me. I gotta, I, you got you to gotta give me some love for this person. No, no, no. I've already given it to you. I've already given you my love. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Lean into it. God, I just need peace. I need you to give me peace right now. No, 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 no. I've already given you my peace. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Lean into it. See, all of these things that we think we're looking for God to give us, God, if you would just give me love, give me joy, give me peace, give me faith, then I can make it through life. And he goes, no, I've already done it. I've already given it to you. So what do we do? We lay hold of this by faith. We say, this is mine. And I refuse to live a life that is substandard from what God has said a child of God should live. I have, I have meditated on my identity in Christ so much that you, I don't care what you say. You, couldn't, you could not talk me out of believing that I am who God says that I am right now. Why? Because it's what I give my attention to. It's what I listen to all the time. I don't listen to what others have to say. If their opinion of me is not in line with what God has to say, I'm not going to let it get into my heart. 
I'm not going to let it become part of my identity. We'll close with this scripture in Mark 4, 24. And I'm going to read this from the Amplified. He said to them, be careful what you're hearing. The measure of thought and study you give, not that your pastor gives, not that your spouse gives, not that your parents give, you, okay, the measure of thought and study you give to the truth you hear will be the measure of virtue and knowledge that comes back to you, and more besides will be given to you who hear. So the more attention you give to God's word and you meditate on it and you make it a part of who you are. God, I don't care what anybody else says. I'm believing what you say about me. You say I'm complete in Christ. I'm going to believe it. I'll tell you how. I don't, I don't know how many months it took, but this is what I did. I took those scriptures and I meditated on it. And at night, I did something that Jim taught me to do. And that is write down in longhand, in cursive statements that you want to get your heart persuaded of and do it 15, 30 minutes before you go to bed at night so that while you're sleeping, your, co- your subconscious is even being fed this and your heart knows this is what you want to believe is true about you. So I would sit at night. When I first started out, I'm taking my pen and I'm writing in this journal, I am complete in Christ and I am lacking nothing. And I put it down and I thought, well, you're the biggest liar on the face of the earth. <laughs> you don't believe this. But I wasn't, I wasn't trying to, you know, psych myself out. I was going through a heart exercise. And I believed that if I did that consistently, that I was feeding my heart that not just while I was asleep. I was doing it while I was awake too. But while I was sleeping, I knew that my heart had just been given that right minutes before I went to bed. And I did it every night for weeks and weeks and weeks. I mean, I could have a journal. I could open it up and show you page after page after page after page. I'd write the same thing night after night after night. And one day, I was at my friend's house. And uh, her daughter is a single divorce woman in her 40s. And we were talking about doing something, I don't know, movie or something like that. And I was like, yeah, I, I watched such and such by myself the other night. And I said, you know what? I didn't even need a man to watch that movie. I said, I watched it. I popped my popcorn. I sat on the sofa and I watched it all by myself. And you know what? I am complete in Christ and I am lacking nothing. And when I said it, I was like, oh my gosh, I believe it. It was like, it was like fireworks just went off on the inside of me because I thought, you are not thinking anymore you're incomplete and you need a man. Now, don't get me wrong. I am going to be married one day. And there is a man out there looking for me. Like he is searching. He's like, God, she's there. Help me find her. And I'm like, GPS, God. You know, rerouting, rerouting, whatever it is you need to do. All right. And it's not that I've given up on that, but I've learned to be content where I'm at today. Like, I I found things that I could embrace my singleness. Right before I sold my house and I moved from Tulsa, you know, to Arkansas, um, uh, somebody gave me a gift and they said, you know, and I thought I was doing this for me. I really thought I was staying in this house. They're like, upgrade, do whatever you want to do. And I'm like, really? Like, I had like $30,000 to spend just doing stuff in my house. And we had already, we had flipped the house, so we had already done a bunch of upgrades. So the one thing I didn't get to do when my husband was alive that I wanted to do was get granite countertops in my kitchen, in my my bathroom. So I was like, oh, I can do this. I can do it all by myself. I went to the granite company and I was like, I'd like to look at your granite. And, and I said, um, I, I don't want the custom stuff. I know, I know I just, you know, I have a budget. So, you know, show me the aisles that I can walk down where I can get this particular pricing. So they showed me. So I walked down once and looked at them all and turned around and walked back again, did a second run. And I said, okay, I know which one I want. I want that one. She's like, just like that. 
And I said, yeah, just like that. Now, if my husband was alive, we'd have to go to three different places. We'd be talking about it for four weeks, okay? But guess what? I'm doing this by myself, and I can do it just the way I want it, which is decide like that. I did the same thing when I bought a new dishwasher. I walked in, and I said, I want a dishwasher. I want this brand. I want this thing. Can you write it up for me? And he's like, just like that? And I go, yeah, just like that. I said, I can make a decision all by myself. So I learned to find little things like that that made me happy, right? Like even if it's just like staying in your pajamas all day and just changing into a new pair of pajamas when it's time to go to bed at night, right? (laughs) If I want to do it, I can. If I'm not going anywhere, I'm not going to see anybody and all I'm going to be doing all day is studying and praying and, you know, that kind of stuff. I don't need to change, If I'm comfortable, I can do what I want. Now, when I was married, I did not do that. I mean, I was getting up in the morning and, you know, I mean, I pretty much looked like this, you know. I mean, I'm just one of those, okay, that I'm going to put on my makeup and do my hair, even if it's only my husband looking at me. But when you're single, you can kind of get by with a few things, right? So you just do it. You do it, right? (laughs) Okay, so here's the thing. You're the one who's going to decide how you make it through the storms in life. God's not the one who's dictating to you how you're going to get to the other side. Now, you can get to the other side like the disciples, fearful, okay, panicking, all that. But do not expect Jesus to panic with you because he won't. He's never going to get in a frenzy because you want him to. Aren't you worried about this? We're going to die. He's like, not really, okay? And, and if you have good friends that know who you are in Christ, they're never going to agree with you either that it's the end of your world. They may let you vent. Have you ever just vented to a friend? I vent. I mean, I have friends I vent to. I'm like, I need to tell you this. I just need to tell you how I'm feeling right now. Just listen. Don't, don't judge me. And I've got really, one really good friend. She never judged me. She talk, tell me, tell me. And I'll just tell her, okay, this is what my heart's feeling right now. I know it's not true about me. You know that, okay? But I'm going to tell you how my heart's feeling right now. And I just, blah, you know. Then <laughs> I just say it. And I said, okay, so now help me, help me. Remind me who I am in Jesus. Remind me again what he says about me. And she's so good. She's one of these exhorters, you know. God, we all need a friend like that. Every one of you. I'm telling you, if you're an exhorter here, you need to let everybody know. I'm an exhorter, okay? You need exhortation, find me. Because they're great at it. It doesn't matter how bad it looks. An exhorter will always find something good to say to you. And that's, this is my friend. And so she, like, she tells me this, and it's like, yes, I hear you. Yes, 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 yes. And I grab hold of it, and then I go and I talk to Jesus. And, you know, sometimes I talk to Jesus first. Sometimes I talk to Julie first. You know how it is. I mean, I'm telling you, okay? But I always do. I mean, if I talk to her first, I always do get around to talking to Jesus, right? And I, and I always tell him, you know what? I know what my circumstances are saying to me right now. I know that this is like storm is arising. Like, look at those clouds. It's about to break, and it is going to pour, and you're going to get drenched, and you just might drown. I'm like, I know this is what it's saying, but I'm going to choose to look away from that right now, and I'm looking to your word, and I'm going to find a promise, and Holy Spirit, help me find the promise that I need for my life right now. And he always does it. He always takes me to what I need in God's word to assure my heart that I'm loved, that I'm valuable, and that there's nothing that's impossible with God. Amen? Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you so much for these precious ladies who've taken time out of their day to come today and to be here in this meeting. And Father, all of us, you know, life happens to all of us. None of us are immune. Our storms might be different. Who we go through them with might be different. But Jesus, the the bottom line is, 
you're always with us and you're never going to leave us and you're never going to forsake us and you want each and one of us to learn how to lean into you in the storms of life so that we're not drowning, so that we can rise above these storms and get to the other side and no matter what we have to go through to get there, that when we get to the other side, we'll know you're faithful, you're loving, you're kind, and you've never left us and you've never forsaken us, even when we felt like you are at the back of the boat asleep. I thank you, Father, that you've given us your word. You've told us to cast all of our cares upon you because you care for us. And it's because of your love and your care for us that you want us to surrender all of these things in our heart to you. So as I pray over these ladies this morning, Father, no matter what they're going through, you know, you know what's in the heart of each and every woman. You know her struggles. You know the things that she worries about. You know the things that are in her past that haunt her. You know the things that try to tell her she's not going to ever see her dreams fulfilled. And Lord, you know the truth. You know the truth that in Christ, she's lacking nothing. You know that in Christ, she has everything that she will ever need to be a success in this life. So Father, I just pray right now as each woman here opens up her heart to allow you to love on her, that you'll speak the words that she needs to hear, that you'll give each, each one a promise that they can hold on to for their situation that shows them this is what the end looks like in Christ. And then, Father, I pray for your strength, your ability, your grace, Father, to help them through whatever their storms may be. Father, I know your grace. I've experienced it. When life just came crushing down on me and my dreams were shattered, you were there wrapping your arms around me, asking me to come lean into you. And you took me from that place of despair and depression, and you set me on a rock, and you stand with me every day, assuring me I am complete in you, and I am lacking nothing. So I thank you, Father, for the work that you are doing in the lives of each woman here today. And for those that will even hear this message in, in days to come, Father, that we become established in our righteousness, that we become established in who we are in you, and that we learn how to lean on you through the storms of life. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. In January, um, I had just moved to uh, Arkansas to be with my daughters, and all of them belonged to the gym, and they were like, you know, Mom, you need to join the gym. And really what I had done up until that point was just walk a couple of miles a day, you know, two to four miles a day. And I felt like, oh, I'm getting my cardio or whatever. But, you know, there's, there's a lot to be said about going and doing some weight training and strength training and everything. And knowing that I'm going to travel and, and do what I do, I mean, I would just want to – I want to – Live long and live strong. Amen? And so I just started to make some lifestyle changes. And one of them was just to go to the gym every day. And I do it six days a week. And, you know, my goal is six days. Probably if I averaged it out, I'd probably average five days a week. 
So I'm glad I didn't say I'd go five days a week because then I'd probably average four, right? Because life happens, stuff happens, and, th- you, know, you know, I get a call from my daughter, and she's like, Mom, can you watch the grandbaby? I'm like, uh, yeah, you know. So she wants to go work out at the gym, so what do I do? I watch the baby so she can go work out, right? <laughs> but anyways, um, but most of the days I'm, I'm doing that. And when I first started, you know, d- doing the, you know, whole weight training and everything, you know, I had a personal trainer at, um, at Planet Fitness that, you know, worked with me. And I, and I will tell you, ladies, this, you know, don't be afraid of the gym. My daughter, Stephanie, she wrote a great blog article. In fact, if you go on my Facebook page, and it's Christy Kaiser Metropolis, that's my Facebook page, um, my, my daughter, Stephanie, is starting to help women and train and, uh, and help them with their diet, nutrition, and everything. And, like, she, she started out just, you know, not eating really well. And, you know, she was, like, not exercising. And I have just watched her just tone up and just, you know, really, it's amazing. And she encouraged me, you know, just, you know, get with Aaron and let him, you know, help you with the plan or whatever. Because I was kind of intimidated by the gym, too. It's like, where do I start? You know, I don't know what to do. And he took me and he said, okay, let's start the, this way. And, you know, and, and, it's, and it's good to have a trainer. If you, I know Planet Fitness is kind of far away from here. I think you're like 30 minutes away from the nearest one. But there's one close by, right? Okay. Okay, okay, bodyplex. Okay, find a gym that you can be a part of and go do something. Or walk, yeah, I mean, start with that. But it's really good, too, to do strength training, ladies. I mean, I will tell you that weightlifting is good for your bones, okay? It's, like, preventative for osteoporosis. And so, you know, I, I, I love what I'm doing, and I'm getting stronger every day. And, I mean, like, I won't show you my biceps because last ladies' meeting I did, it was, like, a couple ladies. But anyways. <laughs> okay, but, um, but I love it. I mean, I love what I do because it makes me feel good. Okay, it just makes me feel better. In my diet, I mean, I'll just tell you what I did. I mean, this is what my trainer told me. He said, you know, if you want to feel really good, cut out some stuff. And I said, okay, well, tell me what to cut out because, like, I don't eat a lot of fast food, and I don't do this, and I don't do that. And I thought I was eating so good. And he goes, well, if you really want to feel good for right now, he says, cut out bread, potatoes, white rice, and uh, pasta, and white sugar. And I was like, oh, (laughs) You know, yeah, and it sounded so scary, but I was like, oh, we'll do it. I mean, what the heck? I mean, you know, I can, I can do it for a while, and if I don't like it, then I can go back to eating the way I want to. Well, I cut that stuff out, and I'm telling you, I feel so good. It's like I eat lots of vegetables. I eat fruits. I eat, you know, proteins. I mean, I, I eat meat. I eat fish. I eat chicken. Um, I eat a lot of nuts. I, I love to make, like, hummus with, you know, carrots. I mean, I, I've gotten to where I snack on a lot of really good things. I mean, when I left, when I left Arkansas the other day, I mean, like, I have a, a basket that I have on the passenger seat with healthy snacks, and then I have a zip-up thing that, you know, I can keep my cool stuff in. And, I mean, I left, and I, I brought, you know, grilled chicken from home. I brought smoked salmon. I brought apples, oranges, blueberries, nuts, water, and I ate that while I drove, and I never got sluggish. I never felt, you know, I, like, you know how when you go on the road and you stop to get gas, and then you walk into this convenience store, and yes, the chips are like screaming at you, and you think, bag of chips and a Coke, right? Well, it's like you eat that, and then your stomach is like, please don't do this again, you know? And so I found some healthy alternatives, and I don't have to tell you what it is. I mean, you can go figure it out, right? But, you know, if you want help, you can get help, all right? And, and, and if you say, well, I just, you know, I don't know if I can go that drastic. Okay, just start, like, portion control, right? I mean, don't eat until you're stuffed. I mean, on a level of, like, zero to ten, 
You know, I usually stop when I'm at about a six or a seven, okay? When I feel satisfied but not full. And most of the time, that's all your body needs anyways because it takes a little while for the message to get from, you know, your stomach to your brain, right? Yeah, and eat slow and chew your food, right? You ever watch people that just inhale their food? Yeah. Chew your food. It's good for you. So, you know, working out, making a plan, and sticking to it. Like, like yesterday, like I had told Clinton and Sarah, well, I'm going to get up, and I'm going to work out, and then I'll probably be on the road at like 9 o'clock. Well, I had had a really early day the day before. I had mowed my lawn, cleaned my house, you know, did two weeks' worth of recording, and then got in the car and drove to Memphis. And so I was tired that night. And when I got up the next morning, woke up like I usually do around 6, 6.30, I looked at the clock, and I'm like, you do not have to get up right now. Just go back to sleep. And so I did. I fell back asleep. And so when I woke up, it was 8.30. And I thought, okay, so if I do the workout, I am not going to get on the road at 9 o'clock. So I decided, you know what, what's more important, to rush to get here or to do my workout? And I thought, no, let's just go down. I'm going to go to the hotel gym. I don't have to, you know, leave, drive in car, go somewhere. And I'm just going to get on one of their machines. Well, I found this machine, and I had never been on this particular machine. And it was like, oh, man, this was like killing it. It was like crossfit machine and you're like your legs are lifting way high and your arms are going like this and I was like okay I could probably do this for 30 minutes when I got to 30 minutes I was like I'm doing really good look at all these calories you are burning right so I do it for 15 more minutes and I did it for 15 more minutes and I was like man look at that sweat it's just dripping down the back of you I mean I'm feeling good doing this so I decided do it another 15 and when I got to the hour I had done five miles and burned 569 calories so when I got in the shower and got cleaned up and got in the car, the six-hour drive here was like nothing, okay? My body, it, it was good for my body to get moving because I was going to be sitting for six hours, you know? So do yourself a favor, ladies, and get moving, right? Do, do yourself a favor and start eating healthier. You know, like leave off some of that stuff that's just a filler, but it's not really bringing you a lot of nutrients, and if you don't know what brings you nutrients, you know, Google it. You can, you can find everything on the computer. All right, what do you want to add? Um, there was a couple people that I had asked that, to share their story. Like I said, uh, several people in our church, they're either switching to organic or very natural products. Um, some people are dieting. Some people work out. Some people run. You know, just simple little things. It doesn't have to be where you have to get a gym membership and with lift weights, even right. though... Christy loves that. Um, I'm starting to try and go to the gym. I, luckily, I have a husband that goes regularly, and he's like, come out and go to the gym. But two days a week for me is like two or three days. I'm, yes, I went to the gym. And even Eleanor here, she's in her 70s, and she is going to the gym. Awesome. Everyone can do it. So do something to, to, to keep healthy. I did want to bring Carrie up. Do you still want to come up and share? Carrie has an awesome testimony about... Her walk, and I just think it will inspire you to just share, for her to share for a few minutes. Hi, I'm Carrie. Um, a lot of people know me in this room, and for those of you who don't, hello. Um, about, I've been overweight all my life. Um, when I was in high school, I was 450 pounds, so I've always struggled with the battle of the bulge, um, or li liking myself, or loving myself a little bit more. Um, lost all that weight, and then about a month ago, I was looking at pictures, I'm like, I don't like the way I look. I don't like the way I feel. I don't like how 
my stomach feels bloated all the time. I can't wear cute clothes, or if I do, it's too big. I'm tired. And fortunately, I have a really good person in my life, my boyfriend, John, who is as much of an encourager. And if you guys know him, you love him. Um, and he's like, well, I want to do something. So let's get on a program together. I'm like, awesome. And in the process of this, we're talking about marriage. We're talking about a future together. I'm like, there's an end goal. The end goal is marriage. The end goal is a cute white dress. The end goal is something. <laughs> the end goal is so my kids don't have to go through what I did. And as of today, I am 45 pounds lighter. Uh, I've only been doing this since July 5th, 2016. <laughs> um, I am on a program called Paleo. And Paleo is basically, if you can't plant it or you can't kill it, don't eat it. Um, I stay away from all processed sugars, all processed grains, processed food in general. Coke was my best friend. It is no longer part of the equation. Um, I wake up every morning and I'm like, two miles, do it. Walk it, run it, do something. They tell yourself you're going to Dairy Queen after this. Just do whatever you can to do this. Um, but don't go to Dairy Queen. Just say you're going to Dairy Queen. Lie to yourself. <laughs> but I love the fact that I can, but I bought a pair of jeans two sizes smaller recently and it was the greatest feeling in the world and I was, annoying the snot out of the sales lady going, does this look good? How does my butt look in these? How do my thighs look in these? Tell me what I want to hear. Um, and for the first time, I feel like why I always knew I was beautiful, for the first time, I'm like, I'm doing something about it. I'm not going to tell you I am beautiful. I'm going to get healthier and fitter and better for me. And so that's my little story. Isn't that awesome? And I, I probably can speak for Carrie. She probably couldn't have done this without Jesus in her life. He's, I know he's a big part of her. Yes, he's a huge part, but there's also a blog that I've started, so you can follow my journey at togoodhealth.wordpress.com. Yeah, she's an awesome writer. <laughs>